This message first aired on the radio on September 24th, 2003. BibleStudy.net, I'm John Malone. We're in the middle of the dispensation of the law, and we want to talk about David, and we're just going to go right to that. We're starting to see David's downside. We're seeing the judgment upon David and the judgment in David's life for the kind of guy he is. And we all get that. We all have the judgments in our life for the kind of people that we are. That does not determine our eternal destiny. Thank God the kind of people we are does not determine our eternal destiny. But whether or not we maintain faith, whether we hold faith, whether we maintain our loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the real test of a man in his life. Now David begins to reap the consequences of his actions in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, and just as God said, he reaps them in his own family. And we found it very interesting that his own family, starting with Absalom, sins exactly the way that David does. he got the same mannerisms, got the same weaknesses. We see the weakness of Amnon toward his half-sister Tamar that brings out the worst in Absalom. We see the conniving capabilities that Absalom has. It's a whole lot like his father David. And that's one of the privileges we have as parents as we look downstream at our children and we see that they're just like us. And that's not necessarily a good thing. It's a grief. One of the griefs we have to bear is to see our own sin nature reflected back to us in our children and in those upon whom we have also have influence. So we left off yesterday in Second Samuel 13. We are taking up the dispensation of the law, and we're taking up kingship in Israel. It reaches its zenith. Now, David's life, the zenith of David's life, was really before the matter of Uriah the Hittite. It's, it's downhill for him, and we might say evidently downhill. It's not downhill in his life of faith, as David grows in wisdom and grace throughout his entire life. But his climb, his climb to success, really hit its peak at the matter of Uriah the Hittite, where he became a man of bloods, where he shed innocent blood and not only was disqualified from building the temple because of it, but also was visited with the judgments of God and taken really to God's woodshed. And if you're a child of God and you don't know what I mean when I say God's woodshed, then I wonder what kind of a son are you? Because the Lord disciplines every son that he receives. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to bear up under the chastisement of the Lord because every son he receives, he chastises. And if you be without chastisement, you are an illegitimate son. You're a bastard son. And God doesn't have such. So really, we understand our own need and our own deserving for the chastisement of the Lord. It's something David understands, and he comes to understand it better. And his behavior under chastisement is perhaps his best example, or at least one of his best examples that we can take. But as we read the scripture, I know there's a lot of people who want to accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. There are a lot of people who prefer positivism over the scriptures. But when we look at the scriptures, we learn more from what we might call the negative portion of scripture 
That is that part that tells the truth about the nature of man. We call that negative. And we have a lot of negative examples from whom to take great lessons in the life of David in this portion of Scripture, really in the history of Israel and the whole dispensation of the law, beginning with Israel's birth and ending with its rejection and setting aside by our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this section, for example, we're going to have a lot of anti-heroes. We're going to have a lot of people that we don't like and that come to a bad result. And then we're going to have some complicated people who do well at times and who do badly at times, and the Scripture really is a suspense story. Well, how will it turn out for that fellow? Joab, I think, is one of the most complex characters in Scripture that way. David himself, a bit of a complex character in terms of his pluses and minuses. We can we can see his minuses, we can see his pluses, and yet he ends up a man after God's own heart, just as God said he was at the outset. And so, my friend, let me remind you that it's how you finish. It's not how you start the race. A good start is very important to winning a short race. But in a long race, you can overcome a bad start. You can overcome a bad middle. You can overcome a bad third quarter by finishing well. Well, we'll take up now where we left off. And you may remember, if you were listening yesterday, that we left off with Absalom taking his own revenge on his brother, Amnon. And they are brothers by one father, David. They are sons of different mothers. They're both firstborn sons of different mothers. We see now the conniving of Absalom. And we took up yesterday how it was that he connived to get all of his brothers out in a hunting expedition, we might say, a little field trip. And during that time, he took his brother Amnon and ordered him to be killed. He didn't do it himself. He had others do it. And we left off reminding ourselves that that's a lot like the way that David murdered Uriah the Hittite. He did it by the hand of another. He did it with the connivance and the agreement of Joab. And he murdered Uriah by the sword of the enemies of Israel. So we see here in picture Absalom acting like David, and he kills his brother Amnon. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Absalom and his rebellion against David, his hatred toward his father, and uh, his enmity against him. And we're going to see a lot of enmity against David. And Absalom is a picture, really, of the man of sin. He's a picture of the one who is, he's the anti-David, though he ought to be following in David's steps. He's the anti-David, and, of course, there's also many antichrists. And then there is finally the antichrist, of whom Absalom can be a picture. We'll even see a little picture of a counselor of David who turns on him. We'll see a, a bit of a forecasting of Judas Iscariot, who also is a picture of the false prophet who will rise up out of Israel. So we have some prophetic things we could touch upon. We have so many things we could talk about but we're trying to present a broad overview of this dispensation of law and why it fails. And the reason that it fails and the reason that David cannot be the kind of king God wants is because that is only able to be achieved by God's perfect man, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of Abraham and the son of David. So remember that in every dispensation we want to see the faithfulness of God and we want to see the failure of man because it's there to be seen. So here is the kind of guy Absalom is that when he kills, he has his servants kill his brother Amnon, all the other brothers, all his other half-brothers, all the king's sons, every man of them got up on his their mules and fled. It's very interesting here, by the way, that we have a reference to mules. We no longer have the donkeys that were marked by 
Saul, who kept the donkeys. Donkeys very useful. Mule even more useful as it's a crossbreed. And this, I think, signals some a bit of development that came along with David. There certainly was development. There's even going to be more development coming along with Solomon. And I've been a student of economic development since I was pretty young, uh, since I took the subject up at the university. And despite the university and despite myself, I, uh, in many occasions, I did get some good education, but I don't think it was intentional, but I did get some. And uh, my study was in economics. And I have noted since that time, since I studied the scripture, that positive economic development, though it's not something to be first sought after, does follow after the introduction of the scriptures. And that's a historical fact. Wherever the scriptures have been introduced in the world, wherever the word of God has gone, uh, economic development has gone, peace has gone. Now, let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's not say that economic development brings about any kind of scriptural change, quite the opposite. It's just that the scriptures bring about economic development. That just happens. And then, of course, people worship their work and their wealth. We'll see that with Solomon, where wealth, weapons, and women, outlandish women at that, turn Solomon into a wicked man. I am diverting. We want to come back here to the rebellion of Absalom that takes up so much a portion of Scripture. So it begins here. We see the kind of guy he is. And he kills his half-brothers, and all the other half-brothers now run away. And there was even a, a false report that came out. Absalom has slain all the king's sons, and there's none of them left. Well, that wasn't true. Of course, uh, David was uh, that was believable to David because he knew there was judgment coming. It says the king arose, tore his garments, and lay on the earth, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. And Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take this thing to heart, to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. But Absalom fled. And we find Absalom fleeing. He goes to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. So he goes and flees to the land of his mother's family. And that's where he flees to. He goes to Geshur, and he stays there three years. And it tells us in Second Samuel thirteen thirty nine, The soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. So clearly, David has this affection to Absalom. And we see something here about David. His affections get him in trouble. And that's the case with all of us. Our affections are difficult to control. A lot of times we will become partial because of our affections. David seems to have a special affection for Absalom. He carries that throughout his life. Uh, this is a wicked son. This wicked young man, David should deal with him. In fact, he should perhaps have put him to death here. He never will do that, although Absalom will come to a violent death. But David's affections get him in trouble, and that's what fathers do. They get in trouble, they defend their sons for wrong reasons, and they end up having these Absalom sons. That's what we do, fathers. That's what we do. And we ought not do that. We ought not, we ought not let our wives get loose on people. And we ought not let our sons get loose on people. It is a commendable thing for a man to rule in his home. And we see that David, 
not that good a ruler in his home. Of course, I don't know how anybody with this many wives can possibly rule his home. Pretty tough task, ruling in your home with one wife. David's got at least seven. Maybe he's got maybe he's got 15. Some, so there are places where it's innumerable. It could be innumerable how many wives he has. He has fewer than Solomon. Solomon's going to go up to 1,000 counting concubines. David, counting concubines, probably barely reaches 20. But this is his problem. He's got a problem domestically. He's got a problem in his affections. And he's just too tolerant of his wicked son. We see that all over the scriptures. Men too tolerant of their wicked sons. Men who won't discipline their wicked sons. But if there's anything I've seen that's worse than men who won't tolerate, who won't properly discipline their wicked sons, it's the way that the wicked sons treat the men. That that's a worse thing. Well, I could go on about that, but we'll just we'll just go further here. Now it tells us in chapter fourteen, Joab the son of Zeruiah perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom, and Joab's a kind of guy that we know. We know the Joabs of the world. We meet them. We know them. Uh, I don't want to say they're all the same, but they're all the same. The Joabs of this world find weakness in your character. They find areas of your emotional need, and they prey upon them. And that is exactly what Joab does with David. He figures uh, he's always thinking about himself. He's a guy that doesn't really think about others. He just acts like he thinks about others. Joab now arranges to have a story told to David whereby David is persuaded to go bring Absalom back. And so David does agree to bring Absalom back. And so here's really another problem that David has. He brings Absalom back, but he does it in a half-hearted way. The scripture says, Whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. If David couldn't in good conscience bring Absalom back and, and receive him as a son, then he ought to get him back and execute him as a criminal. But he doesn't do either one. He gets Absalom back. And it tells us in Second Samuel 14, chapter verse 28, So Samuel dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. So here is Absalom back. David doesn't want to talk to him, doesn't see him, doesn't meet with him, brings him back, leaves him in a state of, what, limbo. I don't say David caused Absalom to be the kind of guy he is. Absalom here is a young brat. He's over 20. He's old enough to be a ma- classed as a man. He is a man. He also doesn't have proper affection for his father. He's just a no-good kid, and we have those. We just have these no-good kids. We're going to come back and learn how no-good he is just after this brief interlude. We're looking at the life of David. We're looking at the rebellion of Absalom, and what a character this Absalom is. He's a no-good kid. That's what he is. There are such people. They're just no good, and they just don't get good. And we're all no good. I don't know what it is about us that believes in human improvement and everything, when everything in life tells us that, really, we we go from bad to worse. But uh, Absalom certainly proves that out. He proves out that you can't uh, reform that old nature. He's a bad kid. And Absalom now wants to meet with Joab. And you'd think that was really a good combination, Absalom and Joab, but Joab never does go along with Absalom. Uh, Absalom tries to reach Joab, and Joab won't come to him. He sends a second time for Joab to come to him. He won't come, so Absalom burns down his barley field. And now Joab shows up, 
And Absalom and Joab says, why have you uh, set my field on fire? Of course, Absalom didn't do it himself. He had his servants do it. He said, why'd you have your servants set my field on fire? And we have it, Second Samuel fourteen thirty-two. Absalom answered Joab, behold, I sent unto thee, saying, come hither, that I may send thee to the king to say, wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. This is the way Joab gets a little face time between Joab and the king in his behalf. So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So there's a rapprochement. All right, this is a treaty. But it came to pass after this, you see the kind of guy Absalom is, he didn't really have right affections for his father. He just wanted to be back in his father's good graces so that he could usurp his father. Second Samuel 15, 1, it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now, isn't that something? Here he gets some chariots and some horses, and he gets 50 guys to run in front of him and say, get out of the way, here comes Absalom. Maybe 20 or 30 of them ran and said, get out of the way, here comes Absalom. And the other 20 or 30 of them hung around Absalom saying, you the best, you tough, you the you the pretty boy. Like they do around boxers. You ever see that around when boxers come into the ring, they got a group of six or eight guys telling them how tough they are. It, it's funny. It's funny. I think Muhammad Ali, uh, Cassius Clay, started that. Well, I guess he was Muhammad Ali by the time he got that going. But here it's funny, but it works. But it works. I mean, the funniest part about it all, even though you find I find it hysterical, the funniest part about it all is it works. This impresses people. He's got 50 guys running in front of him, telling people what a great guy he is. He's in. It's all a show. It's clearly, and he's a pretty boy himself. He's got you know, he got a good-looking suit on. He's got great hair. It's one thing about Absalom, he had great hair. I noticed that today. It's a very important thing. Like, for example, if you want to be a TV preacher, one thing you got to have, you don't need to know your Bible. That's irrelevant. The more of that you know, the worse problem you're going to have. But good hair. you got to have striking hair. I say good hair, but I'm actually kidding. Some of these hairdos are ridiculous. But that's Absalom. He's a qualified leader to the world. What's he got? He's got a name, Absalom. Son of David, Absalom, sounds good to Absalom. People remember it. Repeat enough time, people remember it. Three-syllable names, good name. He's got 50 guys running in front of him. He's got a nice car. He's got a great car. I'm sure this chariot, I'm sure this chariot, he had, he had a great car. He had a right car. Probably making payments. Well, he didn't need to make payments. He Somebody else made the payments on it. But he had a great car. Bunch of guys dressed up, running in front of him. Great hair. And then he does this. You see, he's now, he's a liar. He's a liar, but he tells the people what they want to hear. That's the other thing that makes him a, a fantastic politician. This guy obviously could get elected, really, to the extent that elections were important, popularity with the people. This guy piled up the popularity chips. Absalom rose up early. Now, here's a guy who'd get up early not to work, but he rose up early and stood on the way of the gate to the city there at Jerusalem, it's where the people bring their legal matters. So he, he stood by the gate, way of the gate, out there on the road of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, and Absalom called unto him and said, Where are you from? 
and he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear you. So here he is, so in discord. This is one of the things that God hates. And he's telling people what they want to hear. Oh, your case is a good one. You've got a legitimate grief, but hey, there's nobody in this kingdom appointed to take care of your matters. I wish I, you know, if I was a judge, Absalom said, if I, verse 4, if, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me, I'd do him justice. If you vote for me, if I was king, you'd have an advocate. You'd have an advocate. You All you got to do is like me, and it's like putting money in your own pocket. And this is a panderer. This is a political panderer. This is what we get. This is what everybody gets. Absalom. Empty suit, great hair, bunch of guys around him that tell us he's great. It's the consummate politician. And, of course, he's supplanting and he's usurping his father here. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this matter did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, I don't care if you're running a Boy Scout pack or if you're if you're in a local church or you're in city government, county government, federal government, whatever it is, this is the way this works all the time. This is a politician. If you're a child of God, reading the Word of God, you ought to be able to see through a guy like Absalom. The children of Israel had the Word of God given to them. God gave his word to Israel. He didn't give his word to anybody else. They should be able to see through this bum. See, a bum like this have nothing to do with him. But what do we do? We want to hang around with these kind of guys. You're hanging around with a guy like that. You have no excuse. You get whatever he gets. came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. Now, this 40 years, you'd have to take it from the time that David was quite young, from the first time he was anointed by Samuel. Remember, he was anointed three times. He was anointed privately when he was young, the eighth of his father's children, and he was out with the sheep. Uh, now he's considerably older, and Absalom is about that age. He's Absalom's in his early 20s. And so that would put David somewhere in his uh, 40s, maybe 50, something like that. And here Absalom makes up this story. I've got some vows to pay into the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode in Geshur and Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again into Jerusalem, I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Now, I don't know what's the matter with David here. I don't know what's the matter with his intelligence apparatus, except for that Absalom has taken that away from him too. But he ought to have known better about this boy. There's where his affections blind him. He should have been suspicious. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And Absalom went with 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. All right, so these fellows are like a lot of fellows. They don't know anything. That's their excuse. But that's men were omitters. They should have known. 
Now, here's a guy who did know. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom, including David's close counselor, Ahithophel. Now, you might wonder, why would Ahithophel go with Absalom? He's a prudent man. He's a man that has the wisdom of God. He's a counselor. He always advised David well. Well, the reason he would go with Absalom is that he is the grandfather-in-law. He is the grandfather-in-law. His granddaughter was Bathsheba, not Uriah. His granddaughter was Bathsheba. And so he's got his own wounds to lick here. He doesn't like David for that. You can imagine. I mean, I can imagine what he'd feel like. I wouldn't like David for that if he uh, murdered my granddaughter's husband and took her. So whereas we can understand his disaffection, we can't understand ever being a traitor. I can understand that you've got problems in life. I can understand that you're grieved from the affairs of life. But why you would turn on God, if you're using that for an excuse to become unfaithful to God, well, now you've got a bigger problem than the one that we're talking about. Well, Absalom moves here before David knows what's going on. He's actually caught him off guard. And the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. That's what they, that's the message to David. And so David and all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, David tells them, Arise, let's flee, Second Samuel fifteen fourteen. We shall not escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us. And smite the city, Jerusalem, with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And David went forth, and all his household after him, not too many, though. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And here now the Lord brings to pass the fulfillment of the judgment on David. And he does it at the council of Ahithophel. But we see faithful ones that go with David. We see Hittai the Gittite goes with him. And every once in a while we see one of these unmixed heroic people like Benaiah or Ittai the Gittite or Abishai or Barzillai or Hushai or Zadok. Other people people in the scriptures that you never hear about who were just straight honorable. And so David and Ittai the Gittite and other faithful ones go, and it tells us all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over the king also and passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now the crossing of the brook Kidron here means that David has left the city of David. He's left his throne. He's not going to be on the throne. There's going to be a usurper in Jerusalem. And reminded of when the Lord Jesus Christ left the Garden of Gethsemane, and he left the Last Supper, and on his way to Gethsemane, he crossed the brook Kidron, and he left Jerusalem, and that was it. And that was it. That was, And there's been a usurper ever since. Until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in glory and honor, we'll see that when David comes back, there's a usurper on the throne. And he doesn't belong there. That's the prince of the power of the air. And uh, we have so many lessons here that we can learn. Will we learn them? So 
here now, Zadok, uh, the priest, he wants to go with David. And the king said to Zadok, no, don't bring the ark. You leave the testimony here. We're going to leave the testimony here in Jerusalem because I'm coming back. And that's a picture. It's emblematic. It's prophetic. It's typical of what God has done. The Lord Jesus Christ has left, but he has not left us without a testimony. He left his testimony here. He has given to us his word. That's why he's comfortable to go away. And the testimony concerning the Lord Jesus Christ is present while he is absent. And so we see here now uh, David's second absence as he's being chased out. And in the midst of his bitterness, he gets this... uh, very bad news. Uh, one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among co-conspirators, or the conspirators, with Absalom. And David prayed, as he's leaving, David prayed, he said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And as he's going now, Hushai the archite comes, and he has his clothes torn, and Hushai the archite says to him, he says, I will go with you. And David says, if you pass on with me, then you'll be a burden unto me. But if you return to the city and say unto Absalom, I'll be your servant, O king, as I've been my father's servant hitherto, so I will also be your servant, then you may, for me, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And it tells us, so here's his plan. He says, you defeat the counsel of Ahithophel, and whenever there's news out of the king's house, you see to it, you tell Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and they'll get news, to, they'll get word to me. And we read this in Second Samuel fifteen thirty-seven. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So we see Hushai is entitled David's friend. And that's an interesting phrase. We want to think about that for just a moment, because David is a picture of the seed of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is Hushai David's friend? Hushai is David's friend because he does whatsoever David tells him to do. He's risking his life here. After all, if Absalom finds him out that he's still loyal to David, he would have no truck in killing him. He'd kill him on the spot. In fact, he's suspicious of Hushai. Hushai speaks uh, carefully to him. But he's David's friend because he does whatsoever David commands him, and we are the friends of our Lord Jesus Christ if we do whatsoever he tells us. Now, he's our friend unconditionally. After all, he died for us, so we can rightly sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. He's our friend, but are we his friend? Well, we're his friend if we're like Hushai, as David's friend, we do what he tells us. And now David goes on, and and, and in in his grief, there are those who grieve him. In his grief, there are those who grieve him. For example, uh, one comes to him, who is Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. And you may remember that David was kind to Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan, his friend. And Ziba shows up, but there's no Mephibosheth showing up. And Ziba tells him, uh, when he asks him, he says, Well, where is your man? Ziba was the servant of Jonathan, and therefore is contemporaneous with that Mephibosheth is an age mate. And he said, Where's thy master's son? Meaning Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, Behold, he abides at Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore me the kingdom of my father. Then the king says to Ziba, 
Everything that pertains to Mephibosheth is yours. Well, he gives everything to to Ziba of Mephibosheth. He rejects Mephibosheth here. Later he'll come back and give Mephibosheth half back. But he doesn't believe him, because where is Mephibosheth? He'll have some lame excuse, a little joke, Mephibosheth and his lame excuses. That's a little lame guy joke. But in his grief, there are those that grieve him. And really, that's the way it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. When he went that way to Calvary's cross, no man stayed with him. They all really, his own added to his grief. Peter denied him. No one stayed with him. They all fled. He went that way alone. And identifying with our Lord Jesus Christ in his rejection, we ought not be those who grieve him. You can see that there are those who grieve him, that grieve David here, are not rewarded when he comes into glory, when he comes back into his glory, and there's a lesson in all that. Well, David now comes to the worst guy of all. He comes now, He came, it says he came to Baharim, uh, Baharim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, and he came forth and cursed still as he came. Of course, this Saul's household hoping now, cheering the demise of David. That's what's going on here. And this guy throws stones at David and calls him names. And in David's grief, he gets grieved. Well, we'll be back in just a minute. Now we have David uh, meeting up with this fellow Shimei, or this fellow Shimei coming out. And here we see the lesson that we can learn from David of how he takes abuse quietly. It tells us that uh, this fellow came out and he cursed David as he came. Verse 6 of Second Samuel 16, he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Now this guy's like nutty, really, if you think about it. But he, and in fact, he's so it's so nutty that David realizes it's of the Lord. And Here's what he says. Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. Uh, so he's calling him about as worse a thing, about as bad a thing as he can when he calls him a child of Belial. And the Lord has returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Well, it's not the blood of the house of Saul that's on David. It is the blood of Uriah the Hittite that's on David. But anyway, though this fellow's not right, David takes it. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king said, Why should this dead dog, that's what he calls him, calls him a dead dog, curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. So this is one of Zeruiah. I laugh a little bit because you can imagine this guy saying that. How about I just lop this guy's head off, David? And all David had to say was, yeah, go ahead. But the king said, what do I have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord had said unto him, curse David. Who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? So David took this as from the Lord. He knew he had it coming. And he bears up under this abuse. And it's not easy to bear up under abuse. But David did it. 
It may be he makes place for the vengeance of the Lord. He says here, It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. So David says, Look, I've got some I've got my problems. I've got some evil coming to me. Maybe the Lord will look upon this abuse I'm taking and will have mercy on me for it, because of it. That's a good attitude to take. You don't have to call evil good and good evil. Don't fool yourself. Evil's evil. David knew that what this guy's doing was evil. He doesn't have to call it a good thing. He just says, well, maybe the Lord will see that I'm suffering from this, and the Lord will do me good. We know that God can cause all things to work together for the good. He can cause two evil things to work together for the good to them that love him who are called according to his purpose. And David demonstrates that he's not looking to men to deliver him. He's looking to the Lord. And so now uh, Absalom, back at home in Jerusalem, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel comes with him. And Ahithophel now is is the chief counselor, and he gives Absalom some of this advice. And Hushai also comes to Absalom. Remember Hushai, he's the friend of David. And he says to Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. I notice the things that uh, Hushai says here. Could He could be talking about David and not even about Absalom. When he says, God save the king, God save the king, I'm reminded of the apostle Paul who said when he was uh, before a fake high priest, and uh, he said, God will strike you, you whited wall. He says, uh, how can you speak that way to the high priest? And the apostle Paul says, I did not know he was the high priest because he knew who the high priest was. Hushai says to Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this thy kindness to thy friend? Why wentest thou not with thy friend? Meaning his father David. And Hushai said to Absalom, nay, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose His will I be, and with him will I abide. So Absalom can ascribe that to himself, I guess, if he wants. And again, who should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served in in thy father's presence? So will I be in thy presence. And this is technically true. This is technically true. In the presence of his father, Hushai was faithful to David, God's servant, and in the presence of David's son, Absalom, he will also be faithful to God's chosen one, David, whom he serves. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give me counsel on what we shall do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he has left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strengthened. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel, all ten of them that David left. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had acquired at the oracle of God. So was all of the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. This is why David prayed that his counsel would be defeated, because he knew Ahithophel would give good counsel to Absalom, but he also knew that Absalom was a foolish pretty boy, and when good advice came... He he might not listen to it. So here he took the so-called good advice. Well, it was good advice for consolidating his power. And now Ahithophel says to Absalom, Now, let me choose out 12,000 men. I'll rise up and I'll go up pursue after David right now. Of course, this is the thing David was afraid of, is that he'd be overtaken right away. 
and be taken out before he could even build a reaction to this usurpation by Absalom. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee, and I'll smite only the king, and I'll bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned, so the people will be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. Then said Absalom, Call now Hushai the archite, and let's hear what he says. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spoke after him, saying, Ahithophel spoke after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak you. And Hushai said to Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. And Hushai said, For for thou knowest thy father and his men that they are mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. Thy father is a man of war and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is now hid in some pit or in some other place, and it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And now he terrorizes Absalom. He says, Look, these are mighty men. Your father is a man of war. He'll be hid. He won't be with the people. You'll come upon the people. A fight will break out, and you're going to lose a lot of men. And that word will get out, and that will now terrorize uh, the people who follow you. Well, because Absalom has a bad conscience, he doesn't know how to listen to good counsel. And so he's going to buy into this. And so are the men around him. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord would bring evil upon Absalom. Now, when this happens, of course, Ahithophel, he knows what his problem is. So Ahithophel tells us in verse 23 of Second Samuel 17, When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass, arose, got him home to his house, to his city, put his household in order, and hanged himself, and died. And there we have a picture. I, I think of it when I, when I read that he went, hanged himself. I think about Judas, who went and was hung. Now, I believe that this fellow actually hung himself, although uh, maybe he was also hung. Maybe Ahithophel uh, was also hung in midair uh, like Judas was. We We don't have time to get into it, but I don't think that Judas simply took a rope and strung himself up. I think he was snapped like a twig by Satan who had entered him. But in any case, here it is. He knows that the end is near for him, and so he just does himself in. We have a picture here of Ahithophel of the false prophet, who, by the way, can be right, but is in enmity against God. And so now Absalom waits and misses his opportunity to achieve his goal, and that gives David a time uh, to regroup his people, and it gives him an opportunity now to conduct fight against Absalom. And now when, when Absalom finally does come after uh, David, a battle begins, and it's not on Absalom's terms. It's not on the terms where David is unable to defend himself, but it's now on David's terms. And David gets the advantage of not being weary and being caught unaware, but he gets the advantage of playing defense. And so we read in Second Samuel 18, it says, The battle was scattered over the face of the country, and the woods 
devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head was caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Well, we have here the demise of Absalom. It doesn't go according to the way that David wants it to go. It tells us about Joab. We'll look at it more tomorrow. May God bless you.